I love teaching students. I love helping them find their, their voice and their passion and their pathway. That really excited me. And so what are alternative methods and ways that we're not thinking about that small schools or liberal arts schools that might be able to actually offer to students to go out into the world to do great things via through design? Over the past 15 years, Peterson has taught design and fine art to numerous students at universities including the Heron School of Art and Design, Ohio Dominican University, The Ohio State University, and currently at Indiana Wesleyan University, where he serves as an associate professor and coordinator of the Visual Communication Design Program. Herb is an award-winning multidisciplinary creative director, design researcher, and educator with experience in strategic branding and social design practices. After a career working with global brands such as Gap, Old Navy, GM, Urban Outfitters, and so many others, Peterson realigned his practice to focus solely on socially engaged organizations. Peterson's research lies at the intersection of community and design pedagogy, aimed to bring sustainable change for rural America. Recently, he co-founded Marion Design Co., a socially driven design studio that applies design-focused research and education into action in rural Indiana. I know that you'll enjoy this episode of the Design Podcast as Herb and I talk about that interaction of socially charged design and education. Herb, welcome to the Design Podcast. How are you? It's been a little bit since I've seen you. I'm not going to try to do math and try to figure out like how many months or I know it's been more than months. It's been over a year, but uh, we ran into each other at the AIGA design educators community in Indianapolis. And we were talking about the state of design education way back then and um, working together and different things like that. So it's good to see you. I'm glad you reached out to me and said hello. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to continue our conversation, actually. Oh, most definitely. I looked at a lot of the links that you sent me and the research that you're doing. And wow, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be an amazing conversation. And I also thought to myself, it's a perfect segue. Because yeah. we just finished the prologue series, eight episodes on asking what the state of design education is. And we go right into your research and uh, it was, it, it blew me away. So we'll get into that here in a second. But first, can you tell all of the um, podcast fans who you are, how you got into teaching and, and what you're doing? Yeah, um, I kind of, I have an interesting in to design education, uh, like all of us, I think, um, I, I studied design as a undergrad, and I also studied fine art. So I kind of had this dual mindset of, of creating for myself and creating for others. Um, immediately got out of school and started working in the commercial industry. Um, worked in advertising for a while and doing branding and identity for retail and corporate brands. And immediately, I think it was within just a few years, realized how easily burnt out <laughs> one could get. Mm-hmm. And I was on that trajectory. Um, and something inside of me had always been tugging um, at my heart and at my mind that, one, I, I really felt that there was more to design education as a design student, believe it or not. I remember asking questions to my professors in school about, well, could it be this? Or could why, why aren't we doing that? Or mm-hmm. how are we not talking with people that we're designing for? And I, at, at the time, I had no clue that was human-centered design, I think. But uh, I was on that kind of bandwidth or mind, mind wave. Um, but anyway, uh, as I started to kind of rub against my own burnout, I realized that the only way to um, pay attention to a system that's broken is to kind of go to the root of it and start to think about 
how to create change and, and impactful change. And so I had this um, thought, I'm going to go teach and I'm going to mm-hmm. start at the very beginning and try to help uh, young design designers and design minds really think about the world at large um, to go tackle the big advertising world out there <laughs> uh, as romanticized as it might be. But yeah, that's what led yeah. me back to grad school um, where I got my MFA and in, in, uh, kind of an interdisciplinary pursuit at Ohio State or the okay. Ohio State, I should say. Yeah. Um, and that is really when I, I really began to teach design. And I had been teaching, I taught as an adjunct prior at Heron School of Art. And then from there, it was like, okay, I'm on. <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, so almost empathy was, which is so fitting because, you know, you're thinking about human-centered design from the get-go. And I mean, I think that starts with empathy. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Hey, when I was um, um, stalking you over the internet, looking at some of your links and stuff and checking out your website, uh, I seen this digital bookshelf. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the the coolest thing. Tell me about Tell me about why, I mean, why would, I, I think I might steal it, by the way. <laughs> sure, that's great. <laughs> I think I'm going to create my own digital bookshelf too now. Excellent. Um, yeah. What, did someone inspire you? Where'd that come from? What's its intent? I don't yeah, know. that's really great. You know, uh, yeah, I, I think we're all inspired, right? In some kind of way. And we're influenced by one another, even when we don't think we are. Um, I remember being an undergrad and, um, having some amazing professors, uh, one person in particular, Patrick Manning, who's now, um, he's a UNM university of New Mexico. He always was referencing some amazing book to me. It's like, Oh, have you read this? Have you read that? Why haven't you read this? <laughs> you, know, <more laughs> so, uh, you need to be reading this. What, what's yeah. wrong with you? Uh, and often I think it was the, the amazing ability to be so open and willing to give, of the book to, to me, especially as a student. Um, so I think that influence of that economy of giving and, and sharing knowledge, like we were talking about a little while ago, um, that's where it kind of comes from for me. So I'm constantly giving out books and like in, in particular, uh, it got so bad with ways of seeing by John Berger that I had one of my TAs finally just scan the whole book. Cause I felt like I had purchased so many copies of it that, I felt okay to like actually give away a PDF of it to students because it's such a, it's such a great book on learning how to see and how to think about seeing. Um, And I think that's our role as educators and it's our role as practitioners that believe in furthering our own independent learning, but also being influenced by the amazing people who've come before us and who are coming after us. Those words, everything that they've, you know, they've written, you know, somehow kind of affect the way we understand it today, right? Create our own definition. So for me to put that out there publicly and add to it is, is a way of kind of nodding to some of my past professors and also nodding to my students today saying, look, these are amazing books that you need to know. And if you haven't, if you don't know them, why? <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. I think I've had probably a, a carbon copy experience of that myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a carbon copy of doing the same thing. I've got a large bookshelf in my office. Uh, it's fantastic. My colleague that I work with now, he has not only one in his office, but we have one in our studio, one in our computer lab. Yeah. Um, but I do the same thing. I'm like, hey, this is a great conversation that we've had. Come over here, pull a book out of the bookshelf and hand that to the student and be like, you should check this out. Read it if you can, but definitely thumb through uh, the pages. And I was doing it so much that I started losing track of where books were. 
Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to start like not cataloging them, but actually taking little notes as be like, okay, so-and-so has this book. So-and-so has this book. So yeah. I the semester go, all right, semester's over. I need to collect my belongings again. Yeah. There's an app for that, believe it or not, where you can actually barcode out all of your books through QR. Oh my goodness. You can actually library your, you know, your collection or, and then, so you just scan it with your phone when you, when you hand your book out to your student. <laughs> I've learned the hard way too. And I'm the same way, you know, I think that having the, the books in that space versus just always going to the screen just changes. It changes our, our, our thinking, our learning behind what it is that we're looking at, what it is that we're reading. Um, and I think one of the greatest things too is it's a reminder. I think when you look at all those books on our shelves, sometimes it can be daunting, but to me, I always think about the person who is standing there in the moment before writing those pages, what were they thinking? And, oh, and sure. really like, like, what did they really know? And, and, and how much did they know? And, yeah. and really were they the authority? And, and was it really all about the accolades and, and the education background? Or was it just that there was something so deep and so real for them that they had to figure out how to put it into the context of a book. And now we look at it as like this amazing truth. And so when I think yeah. that way and I share that way, especially with my students, like that's where you can realize you can tackle the impossible, right? Because Paul Rand did it. We all know. Right. This. And so many others have too along the way. Yeah. Uh, there's an irony uh, to to our discussion talking about handing out a printed book yeah right. and we're going to quickly you yeah. know, turn our conversation over to some other 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 topics meaning digital uh i was going to ask you what your go-to book was uh Ooh, that it, is it you, wow. you mentioned that one earlier it already slipped my mind uh i, I mentioned a book earlier yeah the ways of oh the ways of seeing yeah the ways of right. seeing, yeah by john berger yeah, it's a great book for freshmen uh, who are starting to realize that there is so much more than what they've really seen in the world. Okay. And yeah, it's a great, great book. Okay. I'll make sure I put a link down in the um, show notes too oh, yeah. about that book and about the app, but you're going to have to have to let me know the name of the yeah, app. Yeah, so I'll send it to down you. there later. Um, I think my, my go-to has been Design as a Job. Design as a Job, Joe, uh, yeah. Joe Montero, I mm -hmm. believe. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I have so many students asking me about the career field uh, lately, which is also rather interesting. Just getting the um, uh, AIGA uh, Designers 2025, you know, uh, and looking into that and having that conversation. Um, yeah, so we just wrapped up state of design education, and um, that's kind of your your area of research, right? Because the new season here, we're focusing on research. Um, there's going to be eight episodes. You're going to be our number one episode for season one, talking about research. So I'm so glad to have you introducing your research. Um, but actually, design education is your thing, kind of, right? Your area of research where you've kind of put all, all your uh, energy into? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's kind of funny. I, I found myself, I think, in academia trying to figure out what my real fit was. Um, I love teaching students. I love helping them find their, their voice and their passion and their pathway. But what about me? And, and I finally actually, as a practitioner, kind of came to a point where I'm like, 
I'm kind of tired of making and I want to look at design from the systematic approach. I want to see it from this bigger uh, collective uh, whole and what was going on. And I, I kept seeing more and more that design as research and design for research and through research, all these factors that really excited me. And I started to ask questions about well, what's the, like you're asking, what was the future of design? What does the future of design education look like? Even more so for places in rural America or places that can't necessarily meet all the requirements from the governing body, such as NASAD or AIGA. Um, and more importantly, what are alternative methods and ways that we're not thinking about that small schools or liberal arts schools that might be able to actually offer to students to go out into the world to do great things um, via through design. Yeah. So um, I actually had thought about that as a research practice and like what, what would that look like to actually scholarly write about that and scholarly research. Um, and I kept looking for avenues to, to do that. And finally somebody said, well, why don't you consider a PhD? Why don't you actually jump in and, and write something about it? And I'm like, oh, that's a kind of a, there's a lot of great writers out there about you know writing about design, but yeah. writing at it from a place where we can start to create new information and new knowledge that we can then turn around and reshare. That really excited me. And so I was fortunate to find the new uh, doctor in design program at North Carolina State, which has an amazing college of design. It's, you know, infamous. It's known uh, with a, for amazing yeah. faculty and amazing alumni. Um, and so I, I jumped on board right away. And funny enough, it, all of the, the, the folks there, both in the PhD program and the DDES program, a lot of them are coming at it from a practitioner standpoint. And I'm kind of like looking at it from, I've been there. I'm, I'm not so much interested in that, but I am interested in how we're shaping the educational models for, for tomorrow and how that affects the practice. So it's kind of that one step yeah. before that. I, I think that's really critical. Obviously, otherwise I wouldn't have a podcast about design education and right, success uh, in that. Um, but I I would agree it's it's time that we have to change our modalities and uh, look more into our outcomes of being prepared for that next generation of design, so that the students when they when they get out there they're not having to learn all over again. You know, um, which is kind of the way it's happened for, you know, I think decades, you know, right. you, you get that, here's what design's been doing and you get out there and you start doing what design's been doing. And then you realize, Oh, I've got to catch up and do some other stuff, some other learning. Um, and you've kind of put this short little phrase to this, uh, a new kind of university. So, I mean, what does that mean? And you talk a little bit about the liberal arts as well. So I thought that was, you know, humanities and liberal arts schools and a new a new university. Um, and you're right, there's not a plethora of these elite design schools. Uh, and it does come down to, you know, those average, uh, what does the AIGA say? There's approximately 2,500 of these types of schools. Uh, Want to elaborate on that more? A new kind of university. Yeah. I so in my research, one of the things that I found, I started to look at small data sets. So I I chose to look at religious or spiritually affiliated universities to start with, uh, that were liberal arts that housed some form of design education that could be either associates level degree or a bachelor of arts or even bachelor of science, uh, in graphic design, visual communication design, somewhere in that kind of context. Um, 
we looked at everything from Catholic to evangelical Christian and kind of anywhere in between. So coast to coast. And we surveyed and, and actually were able to pull all of those schools under one kind of um, pool where we could look at what it was that they were actually doing and what it was that they weren't doing and where maybe pitfalls um, are actually starting to exist. And what we started to see were the trends of a lot of the smaller schools closing due to just the, the financial burdens of today in our economy. Um, and I started to look at the, the quality of education that was coming out of these programs where you have um, very uh, stressed <laughs> faculty, I think is a nice way of saying that, mm-hmm. uh, with low, low monies, right, to be able to invest in, in uh, new curricular changes, new space changes, new technological changes. And what ha- what's happening is the demand of the industry is getting so great, right? Especially when you have AIGA and Designer 2025 coming out, opposing these, these changes and necessary trends that we need to meet. And you have a program that can't meet them, then what happens? And so my question started to become, what is the role of the university then? in this context, like, are we just having these programs for marketing sake, just to bring students in because graphic design tends to be the populace for art departments? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or do we really care about the profession of design? Do we really care about our role as, as uh, designer practitioners, researchers, et cetera, that are at these institutions and what we're doing, not just for the students, but for the world that we are a part of. And I started to see like how many, who's doing what in the context of community, how is community then also affecting learning in a positive way, hopefully for the students involved. And so I, what I have kind of come to is this conclusion with the liberal arts world, there has to be a hybrid where you have both a professional understanding where there are definitely needs that have to be met, but also um, new ways of thinking about social responsibility, ethics, humanity, like you were saying, um, the idea that one teaching design thinking, for instance, does not mm-hmm. cost an awful lot academically when you think about technology. Now, if you're outfitting a, a, a lab with 3D printers and laser cutters and everything else and running people, you know, paying for people to run those, those labs, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But to be able to teach another way of thinking about the creative ability through design, that could actually save some of these programs that are actually on the chopping block. And so I've been kind of preaching the, the good news that um, there are new ways of thinking about how we teach design, and that's a new kind of university. But part of it is really for the university to ask itself, what's my role in design, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. outside of just students? Yeah, I was going to ask you to to maybe fill in a short gap there. Um, yeah. Because you were talking about that, right? And this, the I think the sad part is uh, when a university starts asking that question, they need to be honest with themselves. Oh, absolutely. Because it's so easy to say, oh, no, we, we do care about the students and we do care about when they're going out to get a job and, and so on and so forth. Um, but I don't know if they're necessarily being honest with themselves. You know, yeah. are they looking at placements versus graduation rates? Uh, you know, what does that look like? And if there are placements, what are those placements, right? Where are they working? Are they, are they the, the job fulfillment meeting the outcomes of the program? Or, you know, are they, are they somewhere similar? So there's a lot of those questions. Um, 
So you're talking a little bit about that, right? And then you talked a little bit about community and engaging students in community. Is there is there some information in there that you can sprinkle in there to how that how how you've kind of looked at that? Yeah. So um in the context of the the new kind of university and in, in this argument, I think that the greatest asset for these kinds of programs that are really trying to figure out how to advance themselves is to look at the relationship with community. When students start working side by side with community members of all walks of life, all of a sudden the learning is going to take a shift. We all know that the minute you make a project real, it changes. It changes the student's mindset. It changes the outcome of how hard they work. It changes the responsibility to it and their ownership. But there's something about being able to learn organizational structure or business, right? Think about that. Mm-hmm. Or uh, systems approach of, of, of design because you're working with uh, an urban planner and, and maybe somebody else who understands historic uh, facade revitalization, right? So mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you're learning grant writing and you're learning, you're learning all these skill sets that actually meet a lot of the needs of the trends that are coming out of the designer 2025. So the real argument at the end of the day is that a lot of what both Meredith Davis and the research from AIGA have have positioned for us can happen through a social context, which is kind of rad. So if you're a school that can't meet all these like giant changes physically, or you don't have the numbers because of faculty, um, lack of faculty, there might be another way to approach it. And so we add to, to, to really push that into some kind of place I, I thought we got to prototype this kind of way of being and that's how we kind of created our studio. Okay. Um, so how does that look different from traditional graphic design? Yeah, that's a really yeah. good question. So like, I know you were kind of talking about this with, uh, with Robin on your last uh, episode, mm-hmm. the, the idea of our classes are no longer just, you know, uh, a layout class or, you know, the typical, uh, we're teaching to a software. It's all cross-disciplinary. It's all interdisciplinary constantly. And we're moving into even more so like a mentorship kind of vertical learning model where you have seniors who are working right beside juniors who are working right beside sophomores who are working with freshmen. And then the freshmen, sophomores, juniors, et cetera, they, they will be able to break away and go into their own independent workshops where they're learning both the technical and the conceptual and theoretical framework to be able to apply back to their team project. And they all have their own responsibility, which is kind of rad. So that's how we've been running um, on the summer when it's kind of outside of the like typical uh, class structure, but we've been moving into this model for the past four years here at the university, which is okay. We've, we've taken almost all of our programs and started to just like overlap them together. And what, we've, what we're starting to see is that we've now improved faculty uh, thriving by not feeling so overwhelmed that they're, you know, kind of running one thing on them, you know, on their own. They're collaborating together. They're, they're thinking about writing courses together and teaching classes that might not normally make sense because there's actually space and time to do that, such as racism and design. Hmm. Or, right, you know, how does how does design affect the way we understand race politics in today's culture? That, that's a really big, big question to ask. But it also makes yeah. sense when you have a community that's actually traumatized by racial issues. 
And how are we equipping our students to handle that kind of problem, not a layout problem, right? Because mm-hmm. you can learn that on the fly at this point, right? Like you can pull up any website, follow any amazing blog, follow any uh, you know YouTube channel and learn how to lay out a page or even make a logo at this point. But to understand how people work and how people think and how people react and, and the, the depthness of problems that our society and, and our world is carrying, that, that takes time to nurture that maturity and I think that ability. And so putting them in this kind of really interesting model has, I, I what we keep watching is the students become mature quicker in a weird way. <laughs> if you can even do that, uh, they start to take on bigger risks. Yeah. I, I they, think, we, I think we can do that. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and through that, through all these like factors together, they feel like they're part of something that, they truly have earned. So their education is no longer this passive experience. It's actually a really active, engaged experience. And it doesn't look like a class, which is really interesting because if you think about it, K through 12 education in America has been, we know it, it, it's trying and there are so many amazing educators out there trying to do good work. Mm-hmm. And yet the system keeps failing us over and over and over and over again because it keeps us in this funnel. It keeps us in one direction or it keeps us on this conveyor belt. Yeah. So our students come to us and we're like, wow, we got to like reteach you how to learn. And we got to break this like assumptive perspective of like how you get a grade or what yeah. is a grade or why are we even worrying about grades? <laughs> right, right. Why are yeah, you worrying about what you what you're doing in the world and how this is going to affect something. Right. And, uh, and that you actually have a big responsibility to that. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what, really? You know, there's ethics yeah. in this. So, <laughs> um, to, so I think that's very different than my traditional graphic design background that I came from, right? Like learning Correct. hand setting type in a type shop, which was awesome. And I think there are moments that you got to bring that back in. We can't oh, let sure. go of it. I, I totally agree. Like you, there's something about smelling that space, right? When you walk into it and there's something about seeing your first amazing uh, digital interface work. And there's something amazing about uh, the, the first book you actually pull off the press and you, you know, you got it right there in your hands. There's a magic to that tradition and that history is so real and so important to continue Mm -hmm. on. But at the same time, we also have to think about what's happening tomorrow, especially right. in a climate like today. Well, I like to um, I like to refer to that experience that you just explained as to a human centered experience. Yeah. You know, to actually have you know that page that you just pulled off, and to be able to touch and feel and use your senses—the smell, mm-hmm. the touch, the look—human um, centered, and that's that's kind of where I think that we're going, I mean, that's even what's in the AIGA design 2025 as well. Um, I'm segueing. I'm waiting for it to happen. Um, <laughs> so uh, looking back at my notes, then the thing that I really wanted to ask you, um, like you said, you've kind of flipped or almost have flipped your, your curriculum. Um, and it's taken four years and you're trying to get away from that traditional studies. Like today, we're going to make a poster. Now we're going to make a magazine layout. Now, you know, and I know we still have to go through the critique with the students of their compositional exploration and their their elements and principles of design and is it working? But then we have to talk about those aesthetics versus functionality. Yeah. Uh, and we still have to go through all those roles. But as you're saying, you know, thinking more about how 
our design, how our research and how our um, uh, overview of the problem and how we can come up with some kind of plan to, to solve those problems. So a humanities or liberal arts based school versus a design school or a program that's, you know, within one of those schools of the arts and doesn't really have the emphasis or the classes in humanities and liberal arts. Uh, I, I think it's pretty obvious from our discussion how we can say the importance of the liberal arts studies. What's your minor, right? So I asked a lot of students uh, starting this semester, how many of you are having a, a minor in your studies with uh, your design classes? Uh, it was maybe a third of the class. But then we went on and had more discussion on the the trends and what young designers are going to need in the industry. And a lot of them had very big open eyes. And uh, I says, yeah, so, I, you know, is it time to think about a minor? Is it too late to think about a minor? Are you going to study after you graduate from this four-year degree? Um, really quick, your opinion and thoughts then on the humanities and the liberal arts as uh, complementing our studies. Yeah, I think that's great. If you can have uh, programs that have the space to offer double majors and minors that fulfill a deep connection to the design practice and the design study, that that makes you well-rounded. It makes you more aware. Um, we we did that for a very long time, where we had BA programs that easily could you know you could add multiple minors or or uh, uh, another even potential double major if you could get by with it with depending on the number of credits you came in uh, now with BFAs, it's a little harder because you have to meet those credit numbers, right. Mm-hmm. To equal mm-hmm. out that degree. But one of the things that we do is we, we believe in immediately integrating all the different disciplines. So we are constantly collaborating with business. We're constantly collaborating with communications. We're constantly collaborating with psychology, constantly, you know, you name it, there's this influence. And so the students are being able to, I think, make quicker connection points from their psychology class oh yeah i just learned this right that's oh so that's how someone recalls information right in a feedback loop you know or, okay, oh yeah. yeah right you know oh yeah i get this this is so this is why i would charge that way and think this way from you know uh the business perspective because i just had this project that i did with a business prof and the, you know, that to me is great and you could do it formally right with the minors and majors or you could do it informally, like the way we've been kind of tackling it, by just making it feel like it's all one thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. And we're going to talk about um, Marion Design Co. here shortly. Uh, and that's kind of the model that you're bringing all this in uh, together under that, under that umbrella, I believe. Um, but I wanted to ask you about this term, back of the book. Yeah. Well, back of the book kind of refers back to really what I was just saying about the assumption of students today coming into college. You know, a lot of them have learned to easily find the answers. And often the answers are printed in the back of the book. It's that simple. (laughs) And it's to me, that's really sad because it, it takes us, I think it dilutes our ability to be strategic problem solvers, um, or opportunity finders, right. That, it, it, it keeps us from only thinking that the solution is one way found. And um, we fight that here. We believe there's a thousand one solutions and there mm-hmm. are all kinds of ways of obtaining that solution. And that there, if we do our homework 
right up front by truly knowing what it is that we're designing for or who it is that we're designing for the understanding even the reversal of that like what will happen with this in five years 10 years from now that kind of thinking will radically um change that learner so it's very different than just like thumbing through which is very freshman kind of like right like they will so where do i so how do i how do i do that yeah well you tell me how do you do that <laughs> you know yeah. and, and we model it you know obviously that's how you know we can teach is by i think it's great modeling but the back of the book is i think one of our biggest issues in today's education uh, and especially k-12 where and i see it continuously the students yeah. come in they have this like it's almost robotic, you know, and you have to massage it and help them like realize like, okay, look, stop looking in the one place that you think is this answer. Right. Yeah. Well, there's that, there's that, um, uh, drawn blanks for my, my words here, non-willingness, I'll call it to, to do the research. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I noticed that a lot in the design solutions that are, coming in from students to answer problems, they're just making aesthetically pleasing or hopefully aesthetically pleasing design work, but the research base isn't there. There's no knowledge. So yeah. I, I think that's where you're talking about the knowledge economy that the AIJ brings up in their, in their 2025 as well. Um, thoughts? Yeah. I, well, I think one thing in particular is it's, it's vital, if not more than ever before, that we teach students how to truly research um, in, in a quick way and in a slow way. You know, they, mm-hmm. they need to understand that what mixed methods really are. They need to understand what real big data is. They need to understand the, the, the complexities of, of really drawing out qualitative information, how to triangulate that information, and how to look at that information from a place that truly tells them something. Versus, oh, I looked on Google, or I did go to the library. Can you believe it? <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, that's great. You know, you got some, you, you know, you got some good kind of stuff that you're thinking about here. Yeah. But how do we know? Like, how do we truly know what we think we know? And yeah. helping them to do that, I think that's what is going to separate. I think a lot of the the issues of tomorrow is with our designers coming out of our schools. Is if they truly can figure out strategic ways of figuring uh, finding the, the information they need then man we then you can do it you really can kind of create solutions that impact our our world but if we're just looking you know in the first 20 pages of google we're not going to get yeah <laughs> yeah yeah well i'm surprised you went that deep 20 pages that's pretty good <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> i mean that's that speaks right to one of the trends that we're uh we should be looking at as colleges and universities is uh teaching young designers to be able to predict their outcome and be accountable uh, for the results. Uh, I thought that was a, a great thing to see in that report as well. So yeah, I think you're hitting hitting right on it. Yeah. Um, we have to prepare them for that knowledge economy. You know, all the all the keywords that's right in the paper that's in front of me that uh, um, that you said would be great for our conversation and uh, definitely definitely links right in there. Um, so that that research then. And so, so you're talking about how they're, how you're working with other programs, if they're not minoring uh, in those other programs or double majoring, they're still getting that, that influence from those students. So are you guys meeting all under one roof in one classroom? Are things happening in the classroom or out of the classroom? So um, first let's introduce then 
Marion Design Co. Because I yeah. think this is the channel that you guys have found to make it happen. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So um, a few years ago, it's really funny. Um, all of us, uh, as far as faculty who are part of Marion Design Co., kind of have this interesting origin story of how it came to them, which is kind of cool. Mine, uh, it, I was... I was actually standing in one of our design studios, beautiful studio that <clears throat> fully outfitted, you know, you name it. And uh, I had, I was teaching human-centered design uh, to kind of entry-level students. And I had the word empathy and bold, you know, going across a giant projection screen. And I'm trying to explain and, 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 and kind of suss out a conversation for my students to get somewhere deep about how we define empathy not by the definitions that we've all been told or what we've read in dictionaries, but by truly understanding what is it, how do we, how do we really know we're in it? You know, that kind of place. Yeah. And I couldn't help, but the studio was on the second floor of our building, one of our buildings. And I was looking out and I could just slightly see across the street of the campus to where um, immediately there's this amazing line where the economy kind of demographic totally changes. So you go from kind of a, a household income of 48000 to literally like twenty two, And I was looking at these houses that were rather blighted. And I couldn't help but to think about who lives in those homes and who has lived in those homes and what are their stories. And, and I started to feel, I think, rather kind of um, there was a contradiction inside of me as an educator. I'm like, I can't teach this to, to be very honest, like in a context of privilege without it just felt so completely dirty that mm -hmm. I, I I had to do something. So I went to my colleagues and it just so happened to be, we were all having these conversations about, are we really doing what we're supposed to be doing? <laughs> and and what are our values? And and what's important to us as a, a faith-based institution? And all those factors. And it just, I, I said, if something doesn't change, I got I just can't do this anymore. Like I'm like, I'm dying on the inside. <laughs> and literally from that moment, there were like these amazing kind of lineups where, uh, certain things would fall into place, but essentially the community kind of ushered us into this opportunity to have a studio space downtown on the square of our, our local community. And um, we walked in with this idea of doing a project that the mayor asked us to do. He wanted us to rebrand the city, uh, which we were kind of like, we, we wanted to honor that and say yes to it, but we made a deal with him. He said, well, we will do that, but you got to let us do the research. And it's going to take time. And you got to let okay. us be present, period. Let us okay. be present. Yeah. And uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, And they were cool with it. They were like, okay. And I, so that was very, it was funny because we were just going to be a bunch of faculty who were hanging out in the summer, working on this cool design project together. And we'd bring some students in. But immediately we became something. And next thing you know, uh, the community kind of, somehow a name got made and next thing you know, a mark got made next, thing you know, a website got made next, thing you know, people were donating money to a community foundation. Next thing you know, we're like this organization and like programming was happening and somebody had to lead it. And, and it just kind of like uh, snowballed us into this existence. Um, which so has been, it's, it's almost as if the, the community was just uh, almost pleading for, for this to happen. And it just, you know, just waiting for that opportunity. Yeah. And I think part of it was that the town and gown relationship of our university and downtown really did exist and it wasn't good and it hasn't been good. The perception of this amazing, beautiful 
very privileged liberal arts university on this kind of southern edge of this community that's intensely blighted and has been traumatically oppressed, but, you know, based off of loss of agriculture and economy and industry, and you name it, we have that problem, you know, from the opioid crisis to some of the highest child poverty rates in our community. And so for us as designers who believe in social good, it's like, well, let's go put our work to action. Let's go put, let's do it. And we'll teach through doing this with our students and we'll bring them right beside us. So I'm in that, I'm in the trenches with them sometimes saying, I have no clue what the answer is to this, but my gosh, we're going to find it. We're going to figure it out. And sometimes it's going to burn and it's going to hurt. And there were moments where after hearing so many stories of trauma that luckily we had um, a psychologist, therapist who was part of a, who's a husband of our colleague who would come in at the evening and just sit down with us and say, how do you guys feel? And let everybody just kind of like, you know, relinquish what they were carrying. Um, But that, that radically, um, that kind of space has radically changed how we teach. And, and as it, as the community started to embrace us, we obviously embraced the community and it kind of became this rogue thing, you know, cause we didn't ask the school if we could do it. We just did it as hmm. you know, you want to talk about research practice, right? I'm like, well, this is what I do. I, you know, I'm a designer, so I'm going to go open my studio, but I'm just going to collaborate with my colleagues and then I'm going to bring my students in and then I'm going to find a way to pay them more than what the university pays our students for work study jobs, right? And, yeah. and and I'm going to create a culture and be part of this. And now four years strong, we've we've been able to radically rethink how we how we do things. And we've given out a ton of amazing work while valuing our students, not just by giving them free pro bono work. That's not the goal. The the goal is that they're learning how to really work on some complex issues. So it's equipping them to be, I think, better leaders once they leave us um, and they're radically impacting the, the, our community because of that. That's fantastic. So it's a, it's a social design firm for the community. That's yeah, exactly. right. So, so now officially Marion design co is a socially driven design studio that it, it brings community right beside students to work in collaboration from ground up on all kinds of, uh, of design problems that, affects the way we thrive and the affects the way um, we want to see uh, progress in the future of our community. So we take on commercial oriented projects, you know, so we will take that project on and we have a team that does that and students are interns to that program. And then we have interns that are working on placemaking projects and we have interns who are working on uh, how to develop a makerspace for the community. And we have a, a team that's working on actual design research working with other nonprofit organizations in the community, helping those organizations do what it is that they do even, you know, better. Right. Uh, right. So it's been really exciting to watch just kind of continue to grow. Tell me about one of the, um, one of the, the clients that Marine Design Co has had that really kind of sticks close to your heart. Like one of those experiences you're like, wow, that that's the epitome of, of what, what we do and why we do what we do. Oh man, that's a great question. I, you know, I don't know if it's one client because I think every project that we've done has just been so rewarding in such an amazing way, but it's, I think it's the in-between it's, it's the moments that you can't really predict realistically. Uh, Even though we're talking about predictive index all the time, (laughs) it really is about the moment where 
I'll, I'll give you a great little story. This guy a few weeks ago walked in uh, to the, the studio and we're, I mean, we're public, right? So we have doors that are right there on the, the square. If you, anyone can walk in during open hours and we'll greet them. Um, and we invite the community to come in to constantly share with us where they feel, what they feel, what they're thinking, what they want to do, what, the, what their heart says. I mean, you name it. And we get all walks of life too because of that. And this, this, uh, uh, this, uh, uh, this guy walks in and kind of, uh, he seemed a little shifty and seemed a little uneasy and was kind of like checking us out. And I was kind of like, I don't know what's going on here. You know, and my <laughs> colleague, Henrik Soderstrom immediately jumped up and not from a place of judgment, but just a place of welcoming literally went to this guy and said, Hey, I'm Henrik. How's it going? And, and, and kind of created this amazing conversation ended up hearing this guy's kind of life story. I don't know how he made that happen, but it, it was, it was like magic taking place. And the guy kind of walked out and you could tell he was kind of carrying his shoulders a little differently. Right. And so there he goes. Um, and I remember thinking like, wow, I felt kind of bad because I think I had a little bit of a visual judgment uh, of this individual when he walked in and, and it, it you know, it's, it, it's something that we're always talking about, like letting go of and, and being, smart but also like vulnerable to the reality of who we all are because we all have these like baggages we carry mm-hmm. yeah. and um so so i i kind of you know dealt with that and then a, a week or so later he walks back in and my colleague wasn't there so i i was the one who greeted him and um actually one of our our fellows uh, we have a fellowship program she greeted them but I uh, greeted him, uh, but I got to him and, and I said, Hey, how's it going, man? Good to see you again. And he's like, you know, uh, I've been really thinking about what you guys were saying. And, you know, you t- you're talking about, you know, innovation and, and helping to start businesses. You know, I just wanted you to know, I just enrolled in Ivy tech and I- I'm going to take some business classes and I've got this idea. I'm going to start a business. And he told, you know, told, laid it all out there for me. And I thought about that, you know, and he walked out and I just encouraged him and gave him a list of names of people who he needed to contact and connect with in the community. Um, that was nothing that we really did. And, and I can't take any credit. And I don't think Henrik would ever take credit on that either. But there was something that transpired in the relationship between us and him and vice versa. And that is the power when we realized we could tap into that kind of space and then somehow apply design solutions and design education in it, mm. man, it's a beautiful mix. But for yeah. me, that is what, that's where my heart starts to race because I realized that guy was just, he's fully, he was empowered in a way that yeah. maybe he hadn't felt before. And that was just because we were present. That, that wasn't because we were doing any awesome design right. work or right, right. had a grandiose logo somewhere. It was because he, we were just available for this guy to walk into. And he knew yeah. that that's part of our studio shtick is that we hear people's stories that's, and we really, we listen, <laughs> even though I'm not a trained therapist yeah. and I never say that I am and I would never pretend that I am, but, uh, but hearing people's stories and then being able to help them and retell those stories back yeah, in a sense of power is an amazing opportunity. Yeah. That's, a, that is an amazing story. It's, it's, that's pretty moving. And like I say, you know, take that as the introductory level as to what you guys do and then apply the problem solving and the design thinking and, and the creative solutions and man. Yeah. Yeah. You can make a lot of great things happen with the power of design. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about how this model looks from like a curricular point of view for the student and for the faculty. Do you, 
do you want to dive into that just a tiny bit? Give us a sense of how that's structured. Yeah. So uh, one thing is we had we've uh, fought to have releases because <laughs> we're running a full time studio that's pretty massive, right? Yeah, um, that's that's that, my that, first thought. I'm like, that, huh, all right. how do you do that and 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 maintain your full time teaching position? I don't know. It's it's kind of insanity. Uh, I think that's the real the, the heartbeat though is us being smart and realizing what we've created is actually better and more effective for the outcome of our students than actually just having a traditional curriculum that we're all following here on campus in our particular art and design buildings. And so for us, the faculty, we've banded together to kind of find ways to be smarter rather than working harder kind of mentality. Um, and so part of that is, is uh, during the summer season, we have a full-time either internship cohort or a fellowship program that that we take students on and the teams the students can come from any university so it's not just our own which is really awesome and um and we build the team very strategically and specifically to that time so it could change you know we could be really like super graphic design heavy one team and the next time it could be really strategy heavy it could be and it just is constantly evolving and that's really important is that fluid kind of nature um, so that's happening during the summer and we all kind of take turns running different departments and programs inside that space. And then in the fall and spring, we continue the internship programs for any students that are enrolled in our programs and they'll, they'll work side by side with a faculty member who's running their research through Marion Design Co. So like for me, I'm doing a lot of research on looking at data from universities, scouring these pages of the designer 2025 trying to find loopholes and, and, and discrepancies, you name it. And I have, I have a team that's working with me running all those numbers and they're learning how to do that. And they're also getting paid, which is great. Mm. So the big projects that we have, so students can apply to be, uh, to work in the kind of commercial arm, those projects tend to create a residual that we're then able to pay our other students working on projects that don't have the money. So it's oh. kind of this Robin hood almost model, right? Um, <clears throat> then, for teaching, what we do, and especially this year, it's really great. We're all, we all team teach. So like all of our classes are being taught at the same time. So then we have them in blocks downtown off of campus. So uh, for instance, uh, our sophomores do take a whole year of type, type learning, even though it's typography and systems. And it's not necessarily, there is a little bit of tradition in there, but a lot of it's about the kind of mobility of it and the way people understand it through a social context and all these other factors, right? That is being team taught with myself and another colleague. And it just so happens that we meet in the studio at Marion Design Co. on Mondays from whatever, 12 to 2. I'm just using that as an example. So together, we will run a project. The project will actually meet all the class outcomes but it's me, it also is meeting a need for a client or a community member, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. And the students learning through it, they're getting this opportunity to like have this portfolio piece. They're also learning kind of this awesome space of creativity and, and being able to fail fast and being able to kind of move, 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 and, and yet at the same time, learn empathy and the human-centered design process from like day one, which is really rad. So that kind of gives you a little yeah. bit of a, you know, our curricular slash, like, how do the faculty do it? Yeah. One of the things that is, I think, kind of rad, and I, I, it might be premature to say this, but we're actually talking about 
removing all of the different BFAs that we have. So we have a BFA in visual communication design, a BFA in design for social impact, which is really rad, and a BFA in user experience design. Mm. And what we've learned is we're, we're, I'm actually in the, so I run the VCD program, but I'm teaching more social impact design than anything else. And there's this like overlap and it seems kind of crazy to have redundancy, but also to have so many programs. And what would it look like if we just create our own unique BFA in design, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, that is human centered, that is socially um, uh, minded, yet still gives you the technical proficiencies that you need to have, but it also opens this world to you in a really big way. Um, And that's, that's kind of the avenue. And what that would do is allow us to teach a hundred percent. So I teach downtown. I'm at this, this year I'm down there every single day. And in the past, we would have to like split it kind of half and half and people would be running back and forth. And while we are only two miles away, it was pretty hard to, to kind of maintain that work. Now I I can actually administer, I can be, I could be doing administration work and teaching and meeting a client who walks in the door all at the same time. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It, it, I, I, keep thinking about, you know, the ball house model and how we're, you know, so ingrained in that. Um, but in a way I'm actually, you know, thinking about this through, you know, in the moment here, it's still very similar to that ball house model, but it's not kind of structured in the same kind of block format. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, the tools have changed the, you know, it's, it's not just wood, metal, furniture, yeah. so on, et cetera. Um, it's digital social media, uh, you know, that the empathy, the, the humanistic approach. So it, there's still some similarities to it. Um, and, uh, you even say that yourself, you know, it's, it's, it's still this all immersive, uh, experience for the students. So I'm, it, true the ball house model doesn't work anymore but i think that we can take some fundamentals or some some basic philosophies and theories of, of the ball house maybe apply them to this to this model i don't know that's just me all of a sudden just having this deep moment of thought like oh you know, yeah what if how's that uh, i think we can't escape the ball house i mean walter gropius was right on and I, he he had a vision for really thinking through the apprenticeship mastery the idea of being able to work kind of an assembly being able to produce physical objects or you name it architecture drawing painting yeah um, you know all the and even the workshop model the there the whole the Bauhaus is, has been so important to us as design educators yet at the same time i think the 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 hidden mystery of the bajas for all are the stories that we seldom hear you know that it's the story of the parade that happened when um they were kicked out of weimar and they decided to you know protest nicely you know in this amazing physical what i would call uh pop-up meets placemaking or even place keeping kind of initiative to to the train on their way to Dessau, you know, like what, what was going on there that was so important. And the same thing goes for, you know, after the Bauhaus with Black Mountain College, why, why did it not succeed? Um, And we know a lot of it has to do with finances, but there's a spirit inside all these amazing schools that have existed. 
And I think we all have a spirit somewhere. Sometimes we yeah. lose it. Yeah. But it, it's it's being able to harness it and maybe ask these certain kinds of questions. So, how does the Bauhaus influence us still today? But also, who are we today? And what what is our unique thing? Not because we have to say it for branding or marketing purposes, but because we really do exist in this kind of context very specifically because where we are in our community, there is a very beautiful fingerprint that is solely its own. And if I can speak and teach and learn and grow and be part of that fingerprint, then I'm unique to that. And the same thing. So I don't know, like often folks will ask us, so how do we do something like Marion Design Co. in our community? And, and I always kind of, I, I, that's a hard question for me because I, I always want to say, well, what does your community need? Right. And, and what is your, you know, I don't know. And, and there's been a thousand and one different models of creating professional practice studios for students and design curriculum and, and making internships mandatory. Those things are great. But I, I think it's maybe asking that bigger question about, well, who are we? What is our relationship to our community? What, the, the fact that we are people independently makes us unique. So your experience and your background, Pete, makes where you are truly unique, just like mine. And when I combine that with my amazing colleagues, then mm-hmm. we, we are, you know, and then our amazing students, we have to think of it from that people yeah. point of view first. It's, it, yeah. Yeah, it, it's hard to tell some people that it just may not work for you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Because uh, I don't know any design educator that would uh, turn down that opportunity to, to have that kind of a model, yeah. but it may not, it just may not be suited for everyone. But like you say, you have to kind of see what's going on in your community. Who do you have in your community at design educators? What, what does that team look like? Yeah. Um, and I really love this conversation now because we're in a global economy, a global communication world, but yet here we are talking about shop local in a way, you know, and I think it's so beautiful. And I think that's even, even more challenging maybe for our young designers um, to enter that. But I I think it's an an important message um, to get out there. Um, Man, you know, know, in regard to the Bajas with that, I think one thing, to, and you just totally hit on it, is there came a point where Weimar no longer needed them. And Gropius realized it too. That's why he decided to move to Dessau and to, to build the complex that we kind of now all really think of when we think of the Bauhaus. But there, there was that tension inside there. And there may be that tension in, in all of us, I think, as far as how we understand what the community needs and what, how we're able to meet those needs as design educators. Um, I, I hope that we don't ever lose our welcome, but that, that may happen one day. Who knows? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the climate's changing. Uh, um, what what we have to be thinking about is where we're centered with our teaching. That that human centered, human focused uh, teaching, and you know, yeah. so, so much so much has changed, and it's going to keep changing. So oh, completely, yeah. Uh, it, it's been a great conversation. I know that you and I could we could go another hour easily, easily mm-hmm. talk about this. Um, but I, I think I want to leave people the opportunity to kind of process what we've talked about. Uh, and I think it'd be awesome if they are able to reach out to you. Are you, are you open for people saying, man, this was great. I would love to talk to you more. 
yeah, absolutely. I know that could open up a, a floodgate of, <laughs> of email. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, that's totally fine. Yeah, that's all. All right, where where can they uh, reach out and find more? Yeah, you guys can. Uh, anyone can get a hold of me at Herb Vincent Peterson. Uh, that's my Twitter handle on Instagram and herb.peterson at indwes.edu is my university contact and definitely at Marion Design Co. or MarionDesign.co for our website. Um, there's all kinds of ways uh, of connecting with us. We love to connect with everyone and we're definitely passionate about the future of design education and research and really how we're shaping that. What will it look like in 20, 30 years from now? That's uh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Pete. I, I didn't mean to cut you off there. You, you were oh, you're doing fine. so well. Um, yeah, I'm even going to have questions for you. you oh. know, I, I might send you interns from uh, from our university. Who knows? Love it. Absolutely. That be, that'd be awesome. Uh, I'll leave all that information too in the show notes. So uh, if anyone's missed it or they're, they're scratching their head and trying to write it down, um, just look down the show notes for that stuff. Um, next time I get up that way, I head through often. Uh, next time I get up that way, I'm going to take a small detour when I see the sign from Marion. Yeah, uh, Wesleyan College and uh, come knocking on your door. Absolutely. Yeah. Come visit. You got it. All right. Thanks, Herb. I hope you have a wonderful day. Uh, We're going to come back, I think, in another episode in the future and uh, and talk more about your developments and and the research you're doing. Awesome. That sounds great. That's perfect. Thanks so much. All right. Take care, man. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode. The Designed Podcast website is located at thedesignedpodcast.com. There you can find notes on the episodes, links to our guests, links to resources, and more regarding the many things discussed during each show. If you find the Design Podcast interesting and informative, please subscribe on Apple Podcast or on your favorite podcast service. You can also follow the Designed Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our video version of the podcast on YouTube. Please join us for the next episode of the Design Podcast, and let's continue to create success in design education. Thank you.